So what's brotherly love in a quiet life have to do with holiness? We're going to see in the passage that those are the two topics. Now, Paul's written this letter to the church at Thessalonica. We talked about it before. And he's been really proud of them. He starts the church, and then he has to leave. He gets run out of town, and he's wondering, how are they doing? And so he's down around. He went through Athens, and I think he ends up in Corinth, and he's going to write these letters because he's, I love these guys, and, and I, I need to know how they're doing. I know that there's a lot of persecution going on. I know that there's a lot of temptations going on. And so he wanted to know and so he writes him this letter, and Timothy delivers it for him. And then Timothy comes back and tells him how they're doing. And so part of what he's talking to them today is, is about loving one another and then living a life that's quiet, but also some industrious, so, that, so they're not depending on other people. So we're going to look at those. And, and you, so you might ask yourself, what does brotherly love and a quiet life have to do with holiness or sanctification? Because that, that's what it is. So we're going to start with this. This is back in um, chapter 4, verse 3. Okay? For this is the will of God. How many of you have ever wondered, what's the will of God for my life? Have you ever asked that question? Have you ever had other people ask you that question? I want to know what God's will is for my life. Help me. Give me some counsel. Well, God first wants you to be his. Right? That, that's the reconciliation part. Through the work of Jesus Christ. But it says right here, his will is not just to save you, but his will is to change you. Okay, so that's the sanctification part. We're gonna, how many of you have ever struggled with the, how that whole process works? I guess I'm the only one, because um, I really, and he goes on to start with some stuff, and I, I was really hoping that I could get you to see things a certain way, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you a little tale, hopefully it'll work, to help you see, we talked about this this morning, how can we see the future? How can we see what the big picture is? Well, God gives it to us, but I think if you want to understand the sanctification thing and and why there's rules, and why I shouldn't obsess on the rules, but why should I be involved with this? Because it's really important. God didn't just save you and say, okay, now you're on your own, or he didn't just save you and said, now it doesn't really matter how you live, and he didn't just save you and say, and now I need you to be slaves to uh, uh, the rules. No. So, so how do we look at this the correct way? Maybe. Maybe this will help. Maybe. God created. God created. And he made the stuff we see. He, he'd existed forever and all time. And, and God was spirit. But he said, I'm going to create something physical. And I'm going to create this people in my own image for relationship with me, and I'm going to put them in this environment that's just absolutely perfect for them. Now, he'd, he'd already, it's, it's, I don't understand completely the timelines, but a, apparently even in the spirit world with Satan and, and his demons, there was rebellion. 
God had created those. Those were created beings, the, the devil and, his, and the angels and those that rebelled and became demons. Those were created things that God made. And, and somehow in God's vastness and his total sovereignty, that too had some rebellion. And so they were separated. They were cast out of heaven, it says. And then, then here's this world, and it it's, was made a spirit just a perfect way with, with these people who God created to be like him so that he could have relationship with them and they could have relationship with him. And yet that same thing happened. And, and Satan comes down. And, and we see that one of his... He, he's, he's not a friend of God anymore. He hates God. And he hates those who love God. And he hates anything probably made in God's image. And so he comes and he tricks Adam and Eve and he deceives them because he's called the great deceiver. And they do, they rebel. And the consequences of that is that everything that's physical is broken. And all the people are broken. And what was once this beautiful perfect place for those that God had created in his own image becomes ugly and sinful and selfish and broken and there's disease and there's pain and there's natural disasters and it becomes inhabited by creatures who no longer look like God because they're trying to be the God of their own life and they're cohabitating with Satan and his demons. That's the reality you were born into. And I don't, I know I struggle with this. I don't want to make it sound like there's nothing good on this earth. There is. But it's broken. It's hard not to see how horribly broken it is when you watch the news or see what's going on in your world. How many of you watched the news and heard that there were, I think, five people shot in a Safeway parking lot in Seattle? And then the day before that, there were three people shot. And the day before that, there was one person shot that, that, that was on the news. This life is, is hard. And so, and so <clears throat> this is the fun part, though. God looks down at this and he says, in the end, I'm going to fix this. And there are those down there that are going to belong to me. And they're living in the kingdom of darkness. They're living in the kingdom of darkness with the prince of this world, Satan, given dominion over the earth. But I love them, and I am going to have to reconcile them first because in their present state, none of them are going to want me. And so I'm going to go down, and I am going to make myself known to them. But then here's the funny part. He, he understands what he's going to have to do. God does. He knew from the, before the creation of the world that he was going to send Jesus and that Jesus' sacrifice was going to be necessary to reconcile human beings back to himself so that he could once again have a relationship with them. 
But he lets them for about 4,000 years try to flounder around on their own, trying to figure out how they can enter the kingdom of light on their own. And it didn't work. And he gave them all kinds of different plans and different covenants and say, if you do this, I'll do this. And he watched them floundering around, trying to work their way into the kingdom of light, out of the kingdom of darkness on their own steam. And they could never do it. And so after about 4,000 years, maybe they were getting it, maybe not. I don't think so. But he finally sends the Messiah. And through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, he reclaims those that are his. And from the inside, just like they're telling the kids, from the inside, now we're new. From the outside, though, we pretty much look the same. It would be really great, I think, if, if God would have just put a big orange light bulb in the middle of your forehead when you became a Christian so you could say, look, I'm different. You are completely new on the inside now. And God says that you are born again. You are born again. It's just I don't look like it. I don't look like it. I kind of look the same, and and many times I don't even feel that different. So here's the deal. God is saying, "Now now you are children in the kingdom of light. You're not you, but but here's the problem. There's a little bit of the old you still left in there, and you're living in the kingdom of darkness with people from the kingdom of darkness. And you don't know what to do with yourself. Here's what I will do. I'm going to give you the new heart, which I did, and I'm going to put my spirit in you, and I am going to give you the ability to be transformed and find the things that, some of the things that you need, which all come from me, God says. All the things that you need to come from me. But you're going to, I'm going to break you free from your chains of sin But as soon as I leave you alone, you go back on your own and try to enslave yourself again. And so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you my Holy Spirit, and he's going to convict you when you keep going back to your default position, which is a child of darkness. And I'm going to give you some rules, and I'm going to make them commands so that you'll recognize what the behaviors of the kingdom of darkness look like, and you can recognize them, and you can say, I don't want to do that, and I'm going to take that to Jesus, and I'm going to give it to him so that I can be transformed into who I truly am already, which is a child of light. But for this short time that I inhabit this body, I'm in a battle. I'm in a battle, and God says, that's a battle that I'm going to be with you in the entire way. And I'm giving you my spirit, and I've given you my word, I've given you these guidelines, I've given you these rules, I've given you these commands so that you can see what the kingdom of darkness looks like in you and which part of you is in the kingdom of light and you will flee from the darkness and go towards the light. And so here is a gift in my word to tell you when you have stepped back over the line into the dark and they're called the commandments of God. And here we see a big one. My will for you is to become a child in the kingdom of light and look like who you really are. This one pollutes you, so abstain from sexual immorality. We talked about that last week, why it's so serious, why it's so hard for us, why we struggle so much in this particular area. 
So what we're really seeing from God as we look at these things today is that here are some things that happen from you when you are walking in the kingdom of light. Don't obsess over the thing. It is what happens when you become more in the kingdom of light. But if you just focus on the rules, you're going to miss the point. The point is me. Focus on me. Focus on God. Focus on giving yourself to Jesus and sacrificing yourself to Jesus, and the changes will come. But without rules, you will stumble back into the old behaviors and never know what you're doing is wrong. Paul said, I didn't even know what sin was till I had the law. Okay, so we're going to see some stuff right here in, in verse 9. Now, concerning brotherly love... No, i got to get my notes out here. Now, concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. Now, we have some issues in English because we don't really know how to translate stuff. And so they use this word love, and, and there's, there's actually four types of love in the Greek, right? That, that are translated all the same word in English, and there is brotherly love, which is this one, Philadelphia. And then there is phileo love, still translated with the English word love, and that's love for a friend. And then there is eros, which is sensual love. And then there's agape, which is supernatural God love, where it is sacrificial love for the benefit of the object being loved. But in this one, it's basically saying this is the Philadelphia. Now, concerning Philadelphia, which would be... Now, why do you think this would be something that, that God would expect us to do towards one another? Well, we, we saw that this morning, right? A, a new commandment I give you. A new commandment that I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you. Love one another. And, and so he's saying, look, so the second one here in love, in the bottom part of the verse, is you've been taught by God to agape one another, and the natural outgrowth is to both Phileo and Philadelphia one another. That comes from agape love, which is God love, which he gives you supernaturally as a fruit of his Holy Spirit. And from that, I'm going to at least love everyone. God says, hey, I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you the agape as a gift, and from that is going to flow brotherly love and familial love or family love. Okay, so he said, look, look, God gave you the agape, and you learn from God, and so I don't really even have to tell you about the brotherly love, and you guys are doing a great job, for you've been taught by God. And, and so he, he's commending them that they're showing it. They're showing this familial, or they're showing this brotherly love and familial love, <clears throat> and it is part, and it is a behavior that goes along with being a child in the kingdom of light because this is what, this is what God is like. And so he, they're already starting to demonstrate by loving one another that they belong to this new kingdom 
even though they're aliens, even though they're living in the kingdom of darkness among people who are, are subjects of the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of God is here. It's at hand, Jesus said. So they are actually children of the light, and now they're going to start behaving like children of the light. And so he's, he's giving them some kudos for that one and saying, okay, you're doing a good job loving this, but... And we see this, the new commandment that I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you, you must also love one another. For by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. God clearly tells us this is a characteristic of those children of light. And, he, and they're doing it. And he's commending them. But I'm going to skip this one for now. I'm getting too late. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. And we saw that earlier on in the letter. He said, word of you has gone out throughout all the world that you are so loving and so good. And so they're, they're, how would that happen if they were just sitting around and, ah, mm, man, I had this overwhelming love for you. I, I really feel good about it. How would that be known throughout the world if that's all it was? What do you think? No. So obviously this is love in action. Obviously they are reaching out and, and, and coming alongside and bearing one another's burdens and encouraging people and showing that love in a tangible way. And that's what God's calling us to do as well. And he's saying, look, for indeed you are doing it all well to the brothers throughout Macedonia, but we urge you brothers to do this more and more. Why would he do that? Do you think that you can reach a plateau in your Christianity and stay there? No. Because the moment we stop fighting against the flesh, we go backwards. There's no... We saw this, in, uh, we saw this this morning. There's no retirement program in Christianity. You might have... You might have gotten into it in your secular life, but in Christianity, there's no retirement program because unless God is working in you, you are going to go back. We are so hardwired for our flesh that unless we are striving against it at all times, we are going to go backwards. So Paul says, don't be satisfied. Don't be satisfied with what you've been doing so far. Do it even more and more for God's glory and your own good. We can never stop. We can never just think, okay, I've got it now. I've gotten to a point where I just love people, and that's good enough. I'm better than most. No, continue to strive to live as a child of light, and God will continue to transform you. Now, we're never going to get there totally, and someday he's coming back, and he says, I'm fixing this whole mess. I'm taking those that are mine with me. I'm going to do away with everything that's, that's here and broken, and I am going to fix this whole thing, and we're going to live together. But until then, it's a struggle. Now, I'm hoping in my own life, and I've seen God do some things in my life that showed some sort of progress, and maybe it's not quite as big a struggle, but it's always a struggle. We can never let our guard down. We can never stop thinking, I've got it now. 
You'd think, I mean, we, we see examples in Scripture. You know, we see King David and, and all the things that God helped him do and slay the giant and become king, and, and he slips up and he commits these vile sins. We see Peter, who'd spent most of that, that time with, with the Savior in, in the flesh and seen him perform miracles and call him supernaturally and just know him before he even met him and see all the things that Jesus did. And then when the time got tough, he denies Christ three times. It's never safe to think you're there. And so Paul, or, or so he's telling them, don't stop. Keep going more and more. Never be satisfied with what you have from God. God has more for you and we're never going to be done on this side of this life. Then he goes on to say this. And aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs. Now, aspire to live quietly. And that aspire is to labor and strive, so it, it requires something. He's not saying, look, just, just you, you kind of stay out of trouble and it'll all work out. No, no, this is something you're going to have to do. Now, this one is probably a little less obvious. Right? When we look at the first one where he says, look, I want you to continue to grow in brotherly love, and that makes pretty much good sense when it's talking about, hey, I'd like to be sanctified and be more like God. What about this one? You think it's different? You think somehow we're in the middle of the deal here, Paul's changed the subject and said, okay, now, now this is something different. You think it's connected? You think this is part of living as a child in the kingdom of light? Well, God does. God thinks it is. But he's saying, this is something also you are going to have to strive to do. To live quietly, and live quietly means refrain from meddlesome speech and hold the peace. So I want you to aspire, I want you to strive to live quietly and mind your own affairs, mind your own affairs to practice and habitually perform the things that pertain to you. And work with your hands, as we've instructed you. Okay, so aspire to live quietly. Mind your own business, basically. And work with your hands. Now, back then, there was a problem. We're going to see it really explained in, in 2 Thessalonians when we get there. That, that, that there was a problem at this time that the Christian church was expecting Christ to return at any moment. And so many of them had quit their jobs. And we're just hanging around thinking, okay, why should I keep bothering to work? God's coming back pretty soon. He's going to claim me. And, and, and not only then were they becoming a burden on others, but it was ruining their testimony because they were just looking like a bunch of slackers. It's like, okay, I'm going to take advantage and hold it. We've already heard. No, no, you're not to exploit your brothers. You're, you're to be here and love them. And, and loving them doesn't mean taking advantage of their generosity and their love so that they have to support you. So this was the, the problem at the time. And, and I don't know how many of you, I mean, there's been some of those cults and stuff that say, hey, we're going to go live up on the mountaintop because Jesus is coming back and, well, he didn't come. Well, here, drink this poison Kool-Aid. So I don't know that that's a big problem. But, but God's saying here, to aspire to live quietly, to mind your own affairs, and provide for yourself, as we've instructed you. I 
I'm probably going to get myself into trouble, but I'm probably going to do it anyway. Um, I'm ashamed to see what some Christians put on social media. Now, when he says aspire to live quietly and, and that that is part of your sanctification, he's talking about this, that this is part of your sanctification. Should we stand up and take issue with what is wrong as Christians? Yes. Okay. Should we never participate in those things like exploiting others or, or racism or uh, you know, some sort of uh, issues against different, uh, whatever it might be, different genders, whatever, or take a, take a stand, and I've taken it from here, that God has a plan for sexuality and identity and marriage, and should we take a stand for that when it comes up? Not a, this is not a rhetorical question. Yes. Okay, yes. But are we supposed to become radical social crusaders? I, I don't see that in here. But I can tell you, coming from seminaries, these kids are graduating being told that their Christianity means they are advocates and soldiers for social justice. I don't see that. Are we supposed to stand up for what's right? Yes. Are we supposed to not participate in those things that would cause somebody to have not a good, as good opportunity or to take advantage of them or to feel against them racial bias? No, of course none of that. But is God calling us to, to live this life of, of radical change so that we're out there screaming and yelling and these hateful things that show up on social media from Christians. No! God says, I want you to change, and part of that change as you are sanctified is that you live a life that is standing up for what's right, but you're not just causing trouble and dissension and division and anger and chaos. And there is a faction of Christianity that says social crusader is part of your requirement if you're going to be a Christian. And I don't believe that that's biblical. And many times it turns into hatred towards those who have some sort of behavior that you don't agree with. Or if you're not part of the, the solution, then you're part of the problem. You start branding everybody with this same label because they aren't standing up and crusading for your cause. Part of being like Christ is living a quiet life. Do you think there were social issues in Christ's day? <laughs> Are you kidding me? Do you think that there were was racism? Do you think there was slavery? Do you think that there was poverty? Do you think that there was there all kinds of things where Jesus could have been the social crusader? I came to save the world. I'm going to campaign against all these evil things. No, he didn't do that. And we saw when Peter and John came to the pool and they saw the beggar and, and he puts his hand out, I, 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 I'm hungry, I need money. 
And they said, no, silver and gold have we none, but we can heal you. Now, that, that healing, guess what? That guy still died. He did. At some point, he still died. But it was symbolic of the healing of Jesus Christ because what did they really have to give was the hope of eternal life through Jesus Christ. I'm not saying that crusading for social issues is wrong. It's just somebody else's fight. You belong to the army of God. He has a mission for you. What if we were given a mission and, we, and we're in the military and we're given a mission we get out there and we wander around and we see, oh man, look at all these other, oh, here's, a, here's a bunch of guys, they're in trouble. I'm going to go here and, and help them out instead of what, no. There's plenty of problems and Jesus said, the poor you're going to have with you forever. And I remember you, Ron, would just say, yeah, oh great, well, well they'll, they'll be going to hell with a full stomach then if we help them, you know, if we just give them food. We have something much, much more important and valuable than helping people have more food or giving them shelter. Now, if we saw someone that needed something, we saw the, we see the parable of the Good Samaritan, we recognize, okay, God does want us to reach out. He does want us to have this brotherly love that is love in action as they were showing. And, and we are supposed to come alongside and encourage and help carry one another's burdens. But that is not the goal. The goal is to use that as an opportunity to share our faith because what they really need is not just better civil rights. It's just not more opportunities. You can have all that and guess what? You're still going to hell and you're still probably going to be miserable. Look around at that which is supposedly uh, the entitled group of people in the earth that have all this success and all this prosperity and all these opportunities, and I can tell you without Jesus Christ, they're miserable. You can have all those problems solved in your life. Number one, it's not going to guarantee you anything in eternity, and two, you're never going to find the things you need in this life without Jesus. And so we have this... God says, live this quiet life, mind your own affairs, work with your hands or provide for yourselves, as we've instructed you, so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. It does matter. I look out and see what is Christianity or what is the rest of the world seeing from Christianity? Are they seeing Jesus? Or are they seeing bigoted, angry, hateful people who are spewing out those kinds of things and that's what stands for Christianity? God says walking as a, ch a child of light means partially means this. That I live a quiet life and mind my own affairs because... I belong to the king, the king of light, the king of the kingdom of light, and he has a job for me. And if I get all twisted around trying to figure out and solve the problems, the social problems of this world, am I losing my focus on the thing that is most important, which is to be transformed into the image of Christ and share the hope I have to help build the kingdom of God right here where I live. There's no shortage of causes out there. 
There's no shortage of things we can do. We see have people coming in here all the time. You see it on media. You see it on your social media. Support this cause. Support this cause. And once again, they might be good. Okay, do this so that we can send this medicine to these people over here that don't have any. Okay, great. Then maybe they won't die of this disease, but they're still going to die and go to hell if they don't have Jesus. Doing God's work is a full-time job. <clears throat> Forget your side hustle. Now, I'm cool because I said that, you know, side hustle. That, that, that's, a new, that's a new term. I only knew what that meant probably a couple months ago. Anyway, God has a full-time job to you, for you. It's being a child of his. And guess what? You're a work in progress. And, and if you're like me, that's probably a full-time job for God. God has a plan for your life in every area of your life, including how you live and how you work and, and where you put your emphasis. Live a quiet life so that you can have openness and time to do my work and don't get all involved in all these other things that are just distractions, even if they're good. They're just distractions from the main goal that God has given you as a child of God. And it's not a very good witness when we're wrapped up in some of these other things and we don't see the love of God being exhibited. Seriously, what kind of a name is Christianity getting and deserving when all we do is yell and scream about those who are sinners? God didn't call us to come judge the world. We're supposed to stand up against what's wrong. We're supposed to help our brother when he's in need, regardless of... And in fact, he, yeah, that starts with agape, and it goes all through those other ones. And guess what? It starts with loving God, loving others, loving friends, loving strangers, and then loving your enemy. Bummer! That's a full-time job, people. And if you haven't gotten all the way down to number five, then God still has work to do in your life, loving your enemies. There's plenty to do, and when we are doing it God's way, we can walk properly before outsiders and not be dependent on anyone. This is some things to contemplate. I really had to... Think about this in my own life and, and recognize um, that it's very, very easy to lose our focus in the things of this world, even the good things. And, and for a time, I was really wrapped up in politics. I mean, I just, I, 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 not that I would wanted, wanted to be a politician or anything, but just in what's going on in the political realm or what's going on in the economic realm and, and, and are we going to go into another recession and what's going on in paganism and I saw, you know, these things that really got me wrapped up in angry and this whole distortion of sexuality and identity and the things that are being told to children in grade school and, and how we're corrupting the laws of God. But guess what? Pagans do what pagans do. It's not up to me to save the world. But do I have an opinion on those things? Yes. Will I, will I stand up for God's version of how those things are supposed to work? Absolutely. 
But I have a task and I have to keep my eyes on the prize. My task is not to go out and fight against those things as it is to share the hope that I have that I've been given based on no merit from my own. This unbelievable treasure that God has given me that he's given me then enough love that it can overflow out into the world around me so that they can come to know Jesus. Check yourself and see. Where am I really focusing? Where where is the, the real goal of my life? Is it to just have a bunch of stuff so I can retire in, 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 in leisure? Or is it, do I understand that every single morning I get up and I check into the army of God and say, God, what's the mission for today? Whether you recognize it or not, that's God's plan for your life. We can never stop thinking that we don't belong 100% to God, even when we don't think it or act like it. It doesn't change that reality. Every day, we need to get up and say, I'm checking into my duty station, God. What's your plan today? And he will bring you opportunities. He will bring you people that need to hear the hope that you have. Be ready. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I just thank you so much. Oh, man, that you love me enough to save me from myself and change me so that I could see you more, know you more, and be like you more. I know I'm a a hard project, but Lord, in all of our lives, we just beg you to continue to work in us. Thank you for your perseverance and your long-suffering, your patience with us, Lord. Your love never fails. You'll never leave us or forsake us. And we need that in this long and sometimes very arduous battle towards sanctification. Father, we just thank you and praise you for what you're doing for us, what you're doing in us. In the name of your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ, amen.